turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Hi, I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening to the Town Hall Review Podcast, where we bring you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Our podcast is brought to you through partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's a piece I hope you enjoy from my cigar-smoking friend, Dennis Prager. I have on the line one of the great experts in American politics, John Fund. John Fund is National Affairs columnist for National Review Online, senior editor at the American Spectator. So, John, uh, should my how should my many listeners who are Republican react to yesterday? Probably with a sigh of relief. Uh, it could have been a whole lot worse, um, given what the polls have been showing for months and the incredible amount of money that was spent in this election. I think the most interesting dog that didn't bark, to quote the Sherlock Holmes story, was, do you realize, Dennis, this was the first election in our memory that the media didn't complain about too much money being spent on politics? What a great point, John. (laughs) Because it all came from media billionaires like Michael Bloomberg. (laughs) Right. So, by the way, in... in in regard with regard to that is and 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 for that matter the last election two years ago do we overestimate the importance of money in elections yes uh because there's so many ads in races where the most money is spent a lot of people just tune it out in other words they reach a saturation point and they simply say all these ads are just lying. I just, I'm not going to spend the time figuring out which one is which. Yes, I, no, I would seem to suggest that. I mean, the Steyer money, the Bloomberg money uh, uh, that went into it, the the wealthy class, is there anybody that you can name? Who in the wealthy class? I mean, there's the Koch brothers, I understand. But in, the wealthy class seems to be overwhelmingly Democrat. Is that fair to say? The wealthy class that has the money that they're willing to spend because they know they're not going to get social opprobrium, social criticism from right, it. Right. The reason why the Koch brothers are pretty much off to their own, along with Sheldon Adelson, is um, that most, first of all, public companies would never do that. Private billionaires will do that, and because they favor climate change, regulation and because they favor abortion and they favor you know drug legalization and prison reform and all of these other things they know they're not going to be criticized in the media but if the conservative steps forward they're running into a machine gun fire nest and i think there are a lot of people who are simply you know i have my money i'm going to spend it to try to save my country but i'm going to be criticized as being some kind of a monster no thank you the left media millionaires with the exception of being attacked by people on the radio, I mean, they're not going to be criticized in the mainstream media for this. That's right. So in light of all of that, uh, you said it could have been a lot worse. So give us a plausible, not, not a, an apocalyptic, a plausible worse scenario. 
Well, that the Democrats had not engaged in that ridiculous, absurd, frightening Brett Kavanaugh mugging. If they had not done that, I think we could have seen Senate seats uh, lost, like in Arizona, which was very, very close, like in Florida, which was very, very close. Uh, that would have brought the Republicans down to 51 or 50 seats even, maybe even more. Maybe there could have been another loss somewhere else. So I think that was a bullet escape. Uh, the House, uh, if you look at the very, very closest races, the Republicans probably are leading in two out of three of the most close races. Um, you know, that's luck of the draw. Uh, governors, there were some governors who survived that uh, very, very tight races, uh, such as Georgia, uh, Florida, Iowa. Um, those were largely fought, I think, on local issues, more a little bit more than on the congressional front. If, if Republicans had lost Florida, which is the nation's third largest state, it would have been a catastrophe, but they didn't. Well, that's interesting. So here, this is... I don't know if you could even answer it, but I, you're the guy I would like to ask this of. Do you think there are five or three or one Democratic senator who says to his or her spouse, maybe we shouldn't have humiliated Kavanaugh? Well, I have talked to Republican senators who have had that conversation with some Democrats in the cloakroom or off campus. And yes, they know what they did was wrong, but who's going to admit it? And um, anyone who would admit it would be completely ostracized and drummed out of the Democratic caucus. It could have been a lot worse for Republicans. Totally, totally agree with you on that. The president made a point that I'd like you to react to. I thought it was an intelligent point. If the Republicans had retained the House by a margin of three, four or five votes, you would never get unanimity anyway, so that actually could have hurt the Republican Party. Any a reaction to that? Well, you could always uh, put a silver lining on everything, and that is a plausible argument. However, the fact of the matter is the Democratic subpoena power, the Democratic investigations, uh, the, the headlines-seizing stunts that they will pull are not going to help the country. Uh now, maybe, maybe they will decide to actually work with the president on an infrastructure bill. Maybe they will work with the president on repairing small parts of Obamacare. But I doubt it. Uh, I think that the Democratic base is so angry, so embittered, and so many of the new Democrats coming in are left-wingers um, that they're going to go immediately into confrontation mode. And, of course, the president, with his personality, will meet them immediately with twice the fire firepower so i don't i don't think it really mattered that much but i do think that the democrats since nothing was going to be done i would have preferred that the republicans kept the subpoena and the investigative power right okay uh that's a very fair analysis so that's that's what i said from the beginning it, it the election is all things put in perspective not at all bad and in some ways not bad but uh, in some ways, actually a positive for the president, given that for two years, the press has simply attacked and attacked and attacked every single day since the election. So let's talk about the subpoena power. What? So do you even know? I don't understand. How do you subpoena the the president's tax records from before 
entering the presidency? On, on what grounds? Well, you don't. So you're just basically trying to throw red meat to your liberal base. The subpoena power is valuable when you're going after members of the cabinet who won't turn over documents that are normally considered sensitive or part of a policy decision-making process. So it's not so much that the president is going to be plastered with subpoenas that he has to answer, but you know, government at the executive branch level, you know, everyone who's trying to reform a regulation, issue a new rule, uh, subpoenas will be uh, basically monkey wrenches thrown in front of their path trying to slow them down. Uh, in other words, it will be an, it will be against the effective functioning of the executive branch because the Democrats want to stop everything that Trump is doing. Right. So does the Senate have the ability to do the same thing? It always has, and they did for a time during some of the Obama years. You saw the Republican House uh, and the Republican Senate occasionally go after, you know, Eric Holder on the on the Fast and Furious scandal and some other scandals in the Obama administration. Uh, they didn't get a lot of attention, of course, because the media chose not to cover them. So I think a lot of this is just posturing. Um, don't believe that there's going to be legislative compromise here. They're going to have to work on a few things. They're going to have to get a budget passed, maybe the infrastructure bill. But otherwise, all of this is positioning for 2020. Address rehearsal for the 2020 presidential election. Right. So looking at 2020, I have not spoken about 2020 once to my listeners. Now, now we can begin to legitimately. Did yesterday put the president in a worse position, a better position, or not a big switch? I think the president has got to decide whether or not um, he wants to change course at all. Um, Obviously, in his press conference today, he was as confrontational and spirited as ever. Uh, But on the other hand, we now have evidence, the elections, that his style really does rub some people the wrong way, especially women in suburban districts. And I think the president, or in fact, even said, you know, the one thing I might regret from this last campaign is that occasionally I might have not used the right tone. Well, the president is going to have to calculate, you know, how much does he want to play King Kong and how much does he want to play, you know, the guy who uh, loves to show people around his hotels and is very gracious and uh, can be very accommodating. As we know, the president is often extremely friendly and approachable and private and often a complete beast in public. Uh, He can switch it on, he can switch it off. I think the president is going to have to decide in presenting himself to the American people, am I going to be the same candidate I was? in 2016 and in 2018, or am I going to make some adjustments? All right. Let's say that he made some adjustments, but not dramatically, and I'm not sure it matters. The, the press would hate him if, 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 the, if the man sounded like Jeremiah and Isaiah and, and St. Paul rolled into one. So, but uh, the, media, the, the, media, the, the media are not the people who vote, and I, I think ultimately we do have to recognize, Dennis, the suburban districts turned against Republicans in part because the exit polls show Trump rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Now, maybe maybe that's necessary. Maybe you have to break some eggs to make an omelet. But Trump did cost votes in the suburbs. He gained votes elsewhere, but he did cost votes in the suburbs. We have a Democratic House for that reason. You think had his tone been congenial, the, the Republicans would have retained the House? No. 
What I'm saying is, it is certainly a contributing factor. And we can see that in some of, I mean, you don't lose Charleston, South Carolina. You don't lose Oklahoma City. You don't lose deep-dyed Republican seats that haven't gone Democratic in 50 years uh, because the economy is bad or because the Republican candidate was weak. These were very strong Republican candidates. There, the, the female suburban vote turned against the Republicans, and the exit poll show that opposition to Trump was a large part of that. Do I think he could have reversed it? No. John Fund, you do believe that in some cases, it tr- truly traditional Republican districts where there is a loss, and suburban women voting, uh, who otherwise, I, I'm assuming you're saying, otherwise would have voted Republican, voted Democrat because they're annoyed with the tone. Is that a fair summary of your view of that? Well, I would say more than annoyed. Um, I did a lot of reporting, and believe me, I met a lot of those people. And it's not just the tone, it's the fact that, look, Everyone, everyone tells untruths in politics, but you know, for some Republican suburbanites, uh, refined types, uh, the president's lies are just hard to take. And uh, of course, they know the media lies too, but they're hard to take, and they don't like it, and they express themselves on that basis. Uh, otherwise, you can't really explain the losses in some districts, like I mentioned, Oklahoma City, Charleston, South Carolina. These are not places Republicans lose normally. And there are many explanations, but these were not districts for Republicans and bad candidates. So the president himself just said, I would love to have a boring, flat tone. Well, the president has a chance now to recalibrate. And I hope he recalibrates because for the next two years, he has a chance to reintroduce himself to people and let the Democrats hang themselves. Let the Democrats be the uns. The more uncivil party. Oh, I, I, it sounds great. I hope you're right. I have such a a low, low uh, view of the Democrats and of the media that I think the president's tone is, uh, and and I'm not. I'm, I'm a, look. My my 35 year career has been civil tone. So I obviously think it could be effective, but the the hatred of of conservatives. Look, Vice President Pence is hated more than Donald Trump. So I I don't know if it would matter that much. I hope you're right. I hope it does matter. Well, well, I'll tell you one thing that did, that I do find in the exit polls. The reason why Donald Trump won in part in 2016 was there was about 20% of the voters who hated both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And he got about 60% of them because they decided the devil we don't know rather the devil we know in the form of Hillary. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Your freedom is under attack. But if you act now, you can protect not only your family but generations to come. Go to townhallreview.com and to find out how you can join Alliance Defending Freedom to help ensure the opponents of freedom don't dictate your future. That's townhallreview.com. If you enjoy your podcast, take a moment, tell a friend to subscribe today.